Welcome to Scotch Money, where it's me, Dimitri, we have Brian, we have Hunter, and we're going to tell you about things that we know while drinking scotch. Cheers. Cheers. Ooh, so good. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, regional recessions and how those impact the politics, how those impact the investing, and how we can all take advantage of those micro-recessions uh, as they happen. So let's talk about that. Uh, Hunter, you and I were talking about that yesterday. Do you want to jump into some of your thoughts on, on regional recessions, and then we'll jump to Brian, and then, we'll, then I'll, I'll give my two cents. First, let's define the term. Okay. Well, you want me to define the term? Yeah, yeah. that's a good idea. Okay. So the way that I see a regional recession is when you're looking at um, micro markets. So as opposed to like, the United States as a whole, if you're looking at California or if you're looking at New York or if you're looking at, in, in the case that I'm very familiar with, Massachusetts or Michigan or Pennsylvania, you know, markets that are regionally in a recession when the rest of the market as a whole is doing very well, maybe even bubbles, right? So it's, it's regional dips in the market. That's how I define it. Do you guys have anything that you would add to what we could call a regional recession? No. Uh, I'm just, it's interesting because, you know, you see all kind of stuff in the real estate game. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a suburban improvement district, which is approximately, you know, 3,000 people. And they have a market specific to them. Keep in mind, they only cover, you know, 5,000 acres, but that's, that's some, some, some mileage, you know, like it's a decent sized community. Uh, and they're closely connected with another city that's about 3,000 as well. Which city so are you talking the, about? They're the two biggest. What's that? What city are you talking about? I'm talking about uh, two. I'm talking about a city and a suburban improvement district. Both of them are in Arkansas. Ah. And the rest of the state has been, you know, that, that's what's interesting. It's like when you talk about regional and you think about it from a U.S. perspective, there's things like, you know, the Rust Belt or the Bible Belt or like uh, Pacific Coast. Like these are like large regions and they they can have recessions. Recessions can be something as big as that. Like uh, we're involved in deals that are directly in the Rust Belt. Uh, but there can also be micro versions of that as well, which is interesting. So like within the state of Arkansas, you have the, I think it's the number three fastest growing community in the country. And it happens to be, hey, less than 30 miles away from the two communities I previously mentioned. But while it's growing third fastest in the country, this area has been receding for years, years and years and years. And it's just based on poor demographic dispersion. It's 
it's got a lot of retirement people and it's got a lot of young artists respectively one community is full of one one community is full of the other they're practically the same city but it makes it, it makes it to where the whole region is missing the workhorse of america which is men and women 30 to 50 you know what i'm saying like that the industry the executive level the, the it's just missing that you got a bunch of kids making art and doing cool great things but you got a lot of people retired as well like we need all the people in the middle to join the the fun or else there's an issue so i've even seen quote regional recessions as small as like a, a couple cities within a state you know or a county within other counties like a district you know like it's interesting how you can see micro and macro you know versions of it but it exists in that, so many forms interesting point i remember a few years ago a friend of mine or an acquaintance of mine uh had told me about how he was investing in um uh michigan well but it was uh in detroit and this is back like 2013 14 maybe and he was saying how and he was very at that time mind you he was doing residential like fix and flips uh, and he was telling me at that time how um you have to really understand the market because at that time in Detroit, you could buy up entire streets of real estate. But if you buy one street, it's a great deal. If you buy the street right next to it, that's like a gang infested street. So you don't go to that street. So, I mean, like, <laughs> block for block basis over there. But then, as we know, well, <laughs> how, how is it that people get rid of, uh, uh, squatters from from those houses, Brian. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's funny because the the you know regional recession. If it's once it gets down to block by block, is that a region anymore? You know, like what? <laughs> it's just a street, or is it a block? You know, like at what point does it become a region? You know, I, I still that's want, a very interesting. I, I feel like Brian, Brian should tell this story about getting rid of squatters because honestly, like that. No, no, don't, don't, don't scar people mentally, emotionally <laughs> hearing the story. story. I wrestled with it for like two days trying to it's not think up. about it. Like how horrible. Up and that's why I think people would want to hear it. Whatever. Okay. If people want to hear it, they can message us and we'll tell it to them individually. <laughs> yeah. That's messed up. Perfect. I'll perfect call to engagement okay. perfect I'll, uh, I'll, if you would like to hear the story about the philippines uh squatter evacuation then yes please comment i will i will, will i'll take this one I'll, I'll leave it on this one note things are done differently in other countries and they are messed up <laughs> <laughs> okay all right let's get back on topic so, all right. So here's my question to you guys. There are, and, and, and so we'll, we'll go, let's say Brian and then Hunter and to answer this question, because I really want to know your guys' opinion. So let's say you have one situation where it's a declining economy, as in this town or region, however you define region, and you can define it in your own, in your own argument. 
there it's in a decline and it's just going to crap as in it's not good to invest your money into that's all clear and defined the other circumstance is a dip but there will be a recovery how can you tell the difference or what advice can we give on an individual basis to someone who wants to be able to know well how do i tell the difference between uh, an economy that's just going to crap and I shouldn't invest in that or, hey, there's a really good opportunity here. Brian. You had mentioned stuff in Japan. Did that apply to what this, what we're talking about here? It does apply in a very small sense. Um, there are areas in Japan where people normally wouldn't invest in because the houses um, are small, they wouldn't want to live in them. Um, they are far away from the train station, but they are in Tokyo. And because they're in Tokyo and because the Olympics are, we were, they were going to come up in eight years, it, it made sense to invest in anything in Tokyo. Um, the ROIs were pretty high um, and uh, the numbers made sense. So e even though the location itself um, wasn't somewhere where I would have wanted to live or would have thought that anybody would want to live. Um, the numbers told us different, a different story. Um, and I, I think it is important to have the facts, um, you know, to, to contextualize the, 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 the situation because the recession on its own, the regional recession on its own um, is a scary event. But um, in the context of, of that, um, the, upcoming, um, the upcoming Olympics, um, of Tokyo continu continuously expanding into its suburbs, um, it's, it, it made sense. Um, the, the industrial property we purchased over in Massachusetts is the only other uh, um, area I've had experience in, um, in the, uh, on this topic, where you have an industrial building that uh, on an industry that was in decline. Um, and if, you, if we purchased that property five, 10 years ago, it would have been a bad deal. Um, it's only in the context of what's happening now where you have warehouses um, that are being built everywhere and data centers that are being built everywhere um, that require large spaces um, and cannabis um, facilities that are also require large spaces that all of these things make money and all of these things are expanding um, where these buildings can now be repurposed. But, you know, just a few years ago, it would have been a bad deal. So, you know, I mean, we have to contextualize the time events, um, you know, like uh, what, what, what's the industry currently doing? Um, you know, like, do we have a creative use for this asset? Um, yeah, is there a tenant? Like, do, yeah. is it just going to sit there vacant or is there someone who's actually going to use it? Yeah, at, at least specifically in real estate. Um, but it's not just about real estate, right? It's also about um, what if it's a different asset class? Um, is real estate? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go on. Um, it, it's, the, the story is the same. Um, even, if you, um, even if you're looking at, um, even if you're looking at tech, uh, oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, you're, 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 you're looking at this company, um, that 
failing? Is the whole industry failing? Is there going to be a use for it? Did they find something in innovative that they just haven't shared with anybody? Um, do you see a use for it in the future? You know, you, you have to be creative and like create a story in your mind um, to see how it works out. That reminds me of a funny story. Let me share this. Mm. It's, it's in the tech space. So, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm like, everyone's familiar with Facebook, right? Duh. Um, so when Facebook was going out for its initial funding, um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, I, I, I think they approached the Google guys. Uh, but I, I, I may be remembering wrong. But they approached you know, some big investors. And... Um, Hey, we're all getting the same messages. <laughs> okay. So they approached the Google guys and said, Hey, you know, we're, we're looking for, for funding for our social media platform. And remember social media is a huge thing now back then, not so much, but uh, what they were told is what you guys are trying to start a social media platform. Haven't you heard of Friendster? <laughs> Time's gone, man. And so it's like, how, it's, it's an interesting thing because I, I think this is a really fundamental regardless of whether it's real estate or stock or, or um, uh, you know, preferred stock. So, you know, tech companies, uh, private stock. How do you define a good opportunity? Well, in that case, looking back on it, we can say, okay, well, Friendster and MySpace, which were huge. Do you remember MySpace, guys? Like, I loved MySpace. I'm not really a huge yep. fan of Facebook. Until it got overrun with musicians trying to, like, <laughs> force you to listen to <laughs> That's why I liked it. <laughs> they didn't come out with another one where that is the game. Like, it's just musicians. It's all about music. And they're all like, hey, listen to my stuff. Check my stuff well, out. Like my that, stuff. And then it didn't work. I think they did. I think it's called SoundCloud. <laughs> well, there's SoundCloud, but then also MySpace itself tried that. It's still around. MySpace. Still oh, exists. just embracing it. It's just who. The oh, big time! Is. There's a lot of European uh, music-related people still use MySpace. They're like, oh, check out my MySpace, yeah. <laughs> In any case, the point is, the question is, how do you define good opportunity when there's risk, right? We already talked about risk, but how do you define? And then it's always there. There's always risk. But how do you, with a good plan in your mind, how do you define a good opportunity? Hunter, how do you tell the difference? Uh, I, think, I think the question almost answers itself uh, because you say, how do you, how do you, you know, plan? Uh, to seize an opportunity, I think in coming up with the plan, uh, that's, that's how you assess opportunity. You have to know it's an opportunity to devise a plan around seizing it. And to know if you should plan, you have to assess if it's an opportunity. So planning and assessing opportunity are almost like chicken or egg situation. You know, it's like, well, do I come in with a strategy and then look for opportunities that fit the plan or do I look for opportunities and see if I can come up with a plan that makes that for sure an opportunity. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are two different schools uh, and, and there's plenty of attendees in both areas. Um, 
I feel like I feel like it's easier to decide your plan and then seek opportunities that fit uh, than it is to assess on a you know as come basis opportunities and then decide if you want to get involved in those because there's so many opportunities in so many wheelhouses and if it's not yours you're at a disadvantage already you have to learn something about the industry learn something about the sector whatever it is um and in in and you don't know what you don't know until you know so i don't like to learn lessons the hard way and i would rather pick a wheelhouse i'm comfortable in pick an pick a region I know well and then combine those two things to formulate a plan and then go out looking for opportunities that fit the plan. What I'm hearing here is that, you know, you're, you're, you're picking something that you know already. So you're essentially picking a story that you know and a region that you know, and then you're mixing the two. Um, because, you know, as, as investors, we don't just, it's not just about giving money and then letting them run with it. Um, it's about, creating the connection, seeing the connections and then creating those connections. Um, and I think it's like, just going back to, um, the, 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 the Massachusetts, um, uh, deal that we recently did the, um, the, 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 the cannabis story is there. The cannabis tenant was there. Um, and we were familiar enough with them, uh, to connect them with this, um, property that was available um, for industrial use. And if we stuck to the old story, oh, it's a coal mill or a paper mill in an industrial area, and let's just use it for the same thing, then it would have been a bad investment. But we essentially mixed it with a different story and we changed everything that way just by introducing um, you know, one story to another, created something else. I'm of the belief fundamentally that I, I, Hunter, you and I have known each other a long time and, and we're very good friends. I am of the belief that there are, there, there's give and take, right? You guys know me. I'm a, I'm a strategy guy. I love strategy. I, I play chess. <laughs> I don't play sports. I play chess. Um, it's just what I like. But this this from the man that started syndications during a game of Monopoly. Of course you like strategy, and I love that about you. You're like, let's partner up. I'll give you this much equity. I'll pay you this much off of all my rentals and leases. Next thing you know, the whole game is just turned into syndication battle because everybody at the board was involved in real estate. So it's like, oh, wait a minute. We, we can put real world rules on this. It's like, okay. It's like, I'm fixing to fire this company right here the hard way. So, <laughs> but it made it so much fun. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to play again. I never thought I'd look forward to playing Monopoly. I love With Monopoly. anyone, but, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I've actually made it something I look forward to doing again. It, it makes me think of, Brian, do you remember that time where during Thanksgiving, uh, Chad and I were, it, well, you... Me, you, Chad, and his daughter are playing Monopoly, and we're, we're having a couple of drinks, but it's Thanksgiving, you know, and um, then all of a sudden, like, things are getting really intense, and he's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, where does it say in the rules I can't? 
where does it say in the rules I can't? And he's just like, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, Brian, I'll give you, you know, we start making a deal. And he's like, you can't do that. I don't. Uh, and then I, I look at his daughter. I'm like, hey, do you want to make this deal? <laughs> just, I, I spoke to Chris last night and he mentioned that exact like, thing. It's like, you can't change the rules of Monopoly. Just you spoke to, to who? Purposes. <laughs> Wait, you spoke to who? Chris. Ah. Yes, you can. Yeah, well, it's not yeah, you did that exact same thing to Chris during um, Memorial Day. <laughs> he got so pissed. <laughs> but I always win. No, that's, the, that's the thing, though. That's what's amazing about it. Okay, Monopoly is, is, is viewed as a me versus everybody game. For, most pe- for everyone I've ever known, it's a me versus everybody game. And, and sadly enough, it's very analogous for life when you involve money. The money game is usually a lot of people look at it as me versus everybody else. Like, how do I get the most for me? And and it's a very good analogy as well. Uh, how when you don't look at it as a me versus everyone, you look at it as who could I combine with? Uh, who could I, you know, compliment or we could work together to make this into something that would be even better. And you always come out on top just like you just said but i feel like the reason you always come out on top is because you're not in it or like hey look it's all about me against everyone else it's like i i want this you know victory for myself but i'm gonna think outside the box any way any possible strategy you know that i can to can do to make that happen and i'm gonna be open to collaboration along the way if that's what it takes i think that what makes for a great business person as well and that's what's interesting about the question you know how do you plan or find or determine opportunity when you have a brain like yours or my or brian's or like when you have a good head on your shoulders we can pretty much create opportunity i yeah i can i can make anything an opportunity it doesn't matter what it is if it's already cool i can make it awesome if it's already awesome i can make it the shit you know, like uh, same way with something that's in a bad place. It's like you were talking about an old mill, just like what we're doing up in Fitchburg. If I looked at that and said, oh, old grain mill, I wouldn't think, well, no opportunity there because nobody wants a grain mill anymore. I'm thinking of what else can go in that building? What fits that footprint? What can utilize the ceiling height? What is you know, something that be uh, ancillary services to other businesses that are thriving in the area. How do I position it for that? Who do I know in that area? The networks start coming in and building. I'm telling you, anything can be made into an opportunity with the right perspective. So that, that takes me to what I was talking about just a moment ago. You guys can still hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. I feel like yep. my microphone buzzing a little bit. All right. So uh, to me, you're quieter than, Brian, by a good bit, though. Is is this better? If I go, like, is this deeper? Is this softer? Is this better? better? Right here. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. it's better. Okay. So here's the thing. <laughs> it's okay. It's very rare that I'm quieter than Brian. Uh, maybe it's <laughs> So uh, when when I think of a deal, and if, if I try to think of what makes a deal into a deal, right? Because anything could be a deal. If I, if I said to you guys, hey, do you guys want to buy this piano? Let's start making a deal, right? But you guys don't need a piano. So it, it, I'm talking about what makes a deal that you can see, that we all see 
hundreds, thousands of deals all the time. What makes that into the deal that we do? It, it's a combination. I think, of, I think that actually gives me, oh, sorry. Sorry, no, I, I was just gonna- you, I think there's a delay, sorry, my bad. No, 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 it's okay. Just, I, I, I have a really quick point to make about it. Uh, in my opinion, it's about structure, as in you make a plan. If you're going into it blind, you're gonna get hit with too many unknowns, right? And then you're gonna die under the pressure of the deal. Like, it's like, instead of making a rocket ship to go into space, it's like, just let's get into a hot air balloon and go up to space. Well, there's no air up in space, so you're gonna die. <laughs> so using that analogy for real life, you gotta have a plan. However, once you get up there, once you get into the thick of the deal, no matter who you are, no matter how great your planning is, no matter what, Business is business. You're going to get into something that you don't expect. It's an unknown unknown. And in order to get through it, you have to A, have a good structure, which I, you guys know, I've talked about that so many times. And on top of having a good structure, you need to have a plan B and C. And then on top of that, you need to be able to adapt without letting yourself freak out. The reason the three of us the, the three of us get along so well is because we adapt. When stressful situations come up, which say la vie, they come up all the time, we simply roll with the punches. We say, okay, well, here's what's happening. What do we need to do? All right, let's do that. We have a team. And fundamentally, we understand that it's better to get something done well than it is to try to make it perfect. As in, something done is better than nothing done, right? The final point that I'll make there is what is thinking? And, and we, can, we can go into wherever you guys want to go, whether it's what I was just saying or this next point. But here's the difference between an intelligent thinker and someone who's just you know, average thinking. And I, I actually heard this recently. I think you guys will, will really appreciate it. Uh, an average thinker will put their thoughts down on paper or, or into a conversation and they're just spewing it. So it's mind thinks of something and they're saying it, but a thinker, someone who's a mad, a, a person who's structuring someone who's thinking, is this a good idea is going to think about that thought and say, well, what, what could go wrong? And then you put together the network of strategy. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, network of, the network of love. Um, the network of strategy is a matter of thinking. When I'm playing chess, I'm not just moving. I'm thinking. I'm thinking, if I make this move, will it go wrong? How can it go wrong? But I still make a move. And I make it in a timely manner because we have to get to the end of the game and I have to learn and I don't know everything, but with collaboration, proper structure and thinking mixed with good acting as in moving forward, that's how good deals are made, adapting. Yeah. But, you know, you, you put in importance um, notes on there on 
what exactly it takes to be able to be um, adaptive because it's all about being comfortable with the discomfort of making those mistakes with the this you know you can go what if and jump into it but to be able to go what if you have to feel like it's not a threat so you have the you know we have to develop the built-in resiliency of you know going is this really a threat or not well i'm not going to be killed by this so it's probably not a threat um so it's everything's a, a threat experiment with right? but also you know you also have to think about um the uh, uh is, is it, it the, the the safety net i mean your your structure is the safety net it's 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 what you've put in place um to make sure that the worst doesn't happen. So you pick the worst possible scenario, you defend against that, um, so that you no longer have to worry about the worst possible scenario. And then you have the peace of mind um, to go what if and to experiment. That way you don't have to continually think about um, what if the worst happens, you just have to think about all of the other things on top of that. Yeah. So for yeah. example, on, on chess, um, your structure is the board. You don't have to think about anything that goes on outside of the board. You don't have to worry about what if I make this move and the guy gets pissed off and punches me in the face. That's not even the thought process, you know, well, because, you because know what kind of chess you've been playing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good time. <laughs> but you know, um, essentially it, it, it's built into the game where you know you don't you don't worry about those things the structure and we yeah. we as investors can build in our own structure that's the beauty of it you build the structure you build your own board so that when it's time to play your pieces you know the rules you, so like all equity ownership right not taking debt you know that no one can the bank can't punch you in the face right cuz there's no bank so you, you define, I, I really like that because you're defining the basics and then you're playing by your own rules within the basics. Yeah. Cause you can't be open without boundaries. It's, it, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of weird to say it that way, but the only way you can, you can, you can be comfortable being open and experimental is to place where, you know, to define where the boundaries are. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's some good relationship advice from, from Brian. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I guess it does work that way. I think it works in every way. And that's the funny part. You know, life is complicated. And yet the, the things that we do in life are very repetitive, similar. There, there are patterns. And so you build, you build your, your foundation which a healthy, strong foundation will lead to a healthy uh, project or relationship. Or healthy relationship will lead to healthy actions together. And I'm not talking about just a relationship with a significant other. I'm talking about with friends, with business partners, with investors, with uh, anything. So um, I, I'm a firm believer in in that. It, it kind of it's kind of this this we have to be able to adapt but you set yourself up for success and then you make 
actions. And you win some, you lose some, but you're going to win more than you're going to lose if you set yourself up right. And there's always going to be haters, by the way. Haters going to hate. Hate, hate, hate. Hate, hate, hate. Hate, hate, hate. The play, I hate is ball. And now we're going to get sued by Dave Chappelle. Great. Um, let me, oh, let me, man. let me bring yeah, it on back I... into what we were talking about. Uh, how does this apply to recessions? I, I was going to tell a story. So I will tell a story about, uh, when I first got into real estate in Vegas. So, I mean, I always lived here in California, except for that time that I lived in Vegas for that period of time because of taxes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but when we were doing deals in Vegas, I um, I remember what this was 2000. Like originally, the original few deals, what 2008, 9, 10, 11, yeah, you know, during the, the the crash. I remember everybody was telling us, "Why are you doing deals in Vegas? Vegas has gone to crap, and it's it's fallen the most out of any other market in the U.S." And the way I looked at it was, okay, well, there's, it's fallen. There's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a recession all around, which we know is going to recover unless the United States ceases to exist, which, surprise, surprise, it didn't. <laughs> but um, if we're buying things, and as we all, I think anybody who hears this, is going to agree that recessions are the best time to buy if you have money, right? The downtime. So where do you buy? Well, you, you buy. Depending on your timeline. That's the thing. It's all about your plan and your structure. It depends on because your Because it could take so long to recover. That could be good for you if you want a long play. But not if you're looking to turn the money in three to five. Well, and so that there, there's a, I can get into that. But in general, when times are tough, it's the best time to buy if you have the money to do so. And you should be responsible with your own personal finances. And I guess we can talk about that uh, um, in a whole, that, that, that's a whole nother episode. But um, what I'm trying to say is, People were saying, hey, you're crazy for investing in Vegas in 2011 when that was the best time. Why? Because what happened was the market was at the low point. And the question, the one question besides structure, besides all that stuff, was is Vegas going to cease to exist or is it going to recover? Is it going to open up? And it did. And so there's a lot of money to be made. Then you start going into the question of, okay, well, do you go into the residential sector? Do you go into industrial? Do you go into commercial, retail? You know, that's a whole other story. And, you know, we place bets on and many different things. And in this particular case, industrial did way better than anything else in the cycle. But that's not to say other things didn't do well as well. So you can't always be right. But I will say this, we didn't lose any money. Uh, and we made money on what we made. So, um, and mind you, 
I was extremely young, a younger man than I am now even. And we did really well because there was a fundamental structure that worked. And we're investing in a time, like right now, uh, I would never invest in Vegas now because the time has come and gone. It, it, it's expensive. It's surpassed previous market highs. And I feel the same way about California. And I still have people telling me, Dimitri, oh, I'm investing in California and I'm doing well. And I'm like, okay, cool. But I don't trust it because look at the value. There's no value. It, it depends on how long your play is. Because if your play is cash out in a few months, then you might be able to ride you know, the volatility of the financial market here in California. But if you're... You know, if you want to cash out big in a few years, um, you know, that's, that's a different comfort level because, um, you know, you have to be comfortable um, projecting a few years in advance. It, it's, not just, it's not just the monetary comfort of can I afford to, you know, hold money into this asset for a few years. It's yeah. also the emotional comfort of, you know, I'm making a decision um, that will affect my life five years from now. Yeah. So it's, it's that, that uncertainty. So, you know, do you have the gumption to go ahead and make that bet? Um, Gotta have chutzpah. <laughs> what do you think about this, Hunter? Uh, I mean, it, 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 we're, we're, I, feel, I feel like we're um, just, just defining regional recession, I feel like, has become uh, something of a like a an opportunity deal making like expedition our class. Like through the course of the conversation, I've just been keeping notes a little bit, uh, and that's why I look down when you see me look down. Like over here, I'm. I'm keeping notes of, of things that we've talked about. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting when you look at the things we've talked about, defining the region, you know, combining knowledge, being open to collaboration, assessing the risk, making a plan to mitigate the risk, which yields a structure, you know, uh, seeking opportunity, aligning values, uh, and, and making a deal. Th those things all go into the story of how, how to create success, you know, like, uh, because if you define your region, first of all, if you just pick an area, okay, what's an area, you know, like pick an area, define your region. Are we, are we talking with, you know, about a state, about a County, about a city? And that goes to your comfort level. What are you comfortable with? That needs to be your region. Uh, whatever region you choose to do business in needs to be a region that you are comfortable in. Either you've lived there for years, you, you grew up there or, or something, but if you don't know the field, you know, it's hard to play the game. So no, hold on, hold the on. first thing I feel like. Please. Oh, uh, so the first thing I feel like is defining an actual region and once you define the region where you're comfortable, you think about, you know, who else is in this area with a similar mindset or that has knowledge 
in the specific area that I, I, I have the most comfort. And then you combine, you know, that knowledge, then you try to come up with, you know, like the risk assessment of the area, you know, like, is this, uh, is the area going down? Is there anything about it going up? Is there anything going sideways? Like, where do I think it's going to be in five or 10 years? Like you just really have to, you know, assess the possible pitfalls of your area. And then once you do that, you plan for handling those risks. You're like, well, there's the potential of this, but we can plan to do this if that happens. And then there's a potential of that, but we can do this if that happens. And once you've done that, you have your plan. That plan is your structure. Now you take that structure and go find opportunities that fit the structure. And when you find an opportunity, hey, this thing, it fits what I'm looking for. It fits my risk tolerance, my timeline, my region, my expertise. Then you just have to align values. I value this thing, you know, here right now. And the other person has to value it at the same price and feel like they're getting uh, an advantage and you feel like you're getting it at a steal. Like, so that's what leads to opportunity. I feel like in regional recessions is that there's people that feel like, they can't weather the length of time it would take to recover, even if they feel like there's a recovery. Some people feel like there never be a recovery, we're screwed, it's over, and their value of their asset goes droop. And then if you come along and have the assessment, I feel like there's potential here. All of this is gonna recover. My plan and structure involves a 10-year hold. I'm looking to place money for a decade and this place in a decade, I feel is going to be through the roof and I triple. So I'm willing to pay what this guy feels like is a steal at the bottom because I know where the top is going to be. And when you have that alignment of a value based on, based on non-alignment of future or plan or structure, that's where the deal is. That's where the deal is made. If it's your plan, if it's your... I will say this though. So we talk to a lot of different investors here in, for example, Southern California or in New York or in all of the markets that we have partners in. And we have a lot of partners, been around a long time, right? Uh, you know. So in any case. We're partners. We're all three partners. We're partners, but I'm saying. Yeah, for people tuning in for the first time. We are all three partners in these same companies. So yes. We, we are partners. And we have, we have other partners that we bring in on individual deals because that's how you make business happen. That being said, our company has company partners. <laughs> we have company partners. There are company partners to our company partners. The company partners. Have partners. Exactly. It's all about partners that have partnerships. It's all kind of partnership. about the network. Exactly. You can't play Monopoly alone. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Bring the single family offices. <laughs> in any case the point is when we talk i've talked to so many investors i don't even know how many investors i've talked to thousands maybe ten thousand i don't know easily some yeah. ridiculous amount like it, i i i would say i talk to at least like seven people a day there's 365 days in a year and yes i work on holidays and i've been doing this 10 years so yeah, I think I could have gotten to like 10,000. I don't know, whatever. Merry Christmas. <laughs> the point is, I've talked to a lot of effing people. And you know what I've heard a lot of that is uh, 
maybe not intuitive, but maybe a little, it, it, it's non-sophisticated or new investors, people who don't really know what they're doing, but they're kind of trying to get into it, which is a good thing. Like that's smart of them to do. And I always recommend to them, look, take your time, learn, because a lot of people say, well, I've defined my region to be, you know, let's say they live in Pasadena, California. And they say, well, I'm only going to invest in Pasadena. Well, dude, there's no opportunity in Pasadena right now. It's gone. Like if you're buying something in Pasadena right now, that we're going to get haters saying, oh, that's not true. I've invested in Pasadena. I made a lot of money. All right, cool. But if you talk to anybody here in the, in the operator community, which includes us and, and you know, other folks that I won't even mention, but everybody knows, you know, the, the big operators of California, they're all saying, yeah, I mean, unless you have an in for a very unique deal that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, one of the big, like if you and Donald Bren are buddies, Donald Bren from Irvine Company, if you and Donald Bren are buddies and he's like, hey, I got this deal, maybe, <laughs> but he's not going to do that because uh, <laughs> Donald Bren does not share. The point is, if you're a regular average Joe and you're like, I have maybe a million bucks or 500,000 or, or even worse, like 100,000 that you're looking to put into some real estate, you're not going to find any good opportunity here in California. Just yesterday, I had a friend of mine say, hey, Dimitri, I have a friend who has 25,000. Can he put it into, you know, this deal that we were investing in? And I'm like, no, <laughs> sorry, dude. Like, I, he should put that into his bank and save it because it's 25,000. Nobody sophisticated is operating on that low of a number. But what I'm saying is, let's say, let's take, take ourselves out of it because, you know, we're unique people in the sense that you know, we have to remember that not everybody has the same levels of capital. And there are folks that have way more capital than we do even, right? So let's put ourselves into a lower level of starting, maybe where we were 10 years ago and say, okay, if I have, let's say like this guy, 25,000 that I'm looking to invest, well, where do I start? Well, you're not gonna make, maybe if this was 2011 in California, Okay, you can find some things, but today you can't. So where do you go? Okay, there are other markets, secondary or tertiary markets, that you can look at places that have regional recessions. Ah, I keep hitting this thing. Look, regional recessions, we're back on it. Regional recessions, to me, means there's a decline, but if it's a place that will recover, then there's going to be an upside. So if you know that you're in that bottom part, then you can recover to the top. What defines a region that is just in a regional recession and not in a downhill slope? It's a U, not a, a slope. Well, to me, I think that that's defined by, for example, places with universities, university towns. There's a university there. People are going to continue to funnel in and out. There's a cycle. It's not just retirees or artists like those places that Hunter was talking about a moment ago. There's, a, there's students, there's older folks, there's people that, that are of the working age. It's, let's say, a suburb of a major city, and it's got a university. Like the, so when we invested in Fitchburg, 
and we continue to invest in Fitchburg right now. Uh, and, and when we look for things, we look for things like it. So it's actually a really good example. If we're investing in Fitchburg, it's because there's a university there. It's 45 minutes out from Boston, which is a major city. The real estate is cheap because the coal industry and the paper industry have gone to, have gone zippity doo dah. Boom. Now we're going to get sued by, uh, by Disney. (laughs) (laughs) But profits aren't going to go zippity doo dah. They're going to go zippity a. (laughs) My, oh my, what a wonderful day. The point is, there's reasons, macroeconomic reasons, not micro, macro, not micro, macroeconomic reasons, not micro. (laughs) Okay, I'm getting to the point. Macroeconomic reasons for going into a region. Then there are micro, not macro, micro (laughs) economic reasons for investing in a particular building if you have, for example, a micro reason would be, well, we have an operator who's in the cannabis space, or I happen to know, uh, you know, the, the, a guy from Amazon and they're looking for uh, warehouse space, or I happen to have a, a startup that is looking for space and they have a lot of funding and they're looking for an industrial warehouse. I can make that happen. So there, you, you have to be able to see opportunity and then you have your strategy and then you go, ah, this connects to this and this connects to this. But if you're talking about a general strategy of recessions, buying at the bottom, that's a macroeconomic topic. And there's a lot of opportunity there. And I've seen it this, throughout my entire business career. Rant over. Macro. Micro. <laughs> it's funny. I was just, I was reaching over to type because I was curious about the technical definition of opportunity because it's interesting how it's taking shape just throughout this conversation. You know, it basically boils down to exactly what the definition is, which is crazy. An opportunity is just a set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. That's all it is. That's all an opportunity is. It's just a set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. So if you have a plan and you're taking action, that means you're trying to do something. So you define your region and your risk. That's your circumstance. (laughs) You define your circumstance and then you make something happen. That's an opportunity. And that's why I feel like opportunities aren't found. They're created. They're created by the way you think and what you know and who you know. So I think that's a very good point for anybody out there listening, trying to get into real estate is keep in mind, like opportunity is something you make. It's there, not like a four leaf clover. Oh, sorry. There's nothing particularly special about what we do. You know, we're not, we're not, I mean, yes, we're smart. Um, and, but, but there are a lot of smart people and there are a lot of people a lot smarter than us. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's not about, um, you know, it's not about that. It's, it's about defining what you want to worry about, uh, defining, um, because everything that we've, we've, we've talked about here essentially just 
narrows down the scope of what it is we have to think about. Why are we able to think about creative solutions? Like, oh, there's a school here. Um, so there's, it's, it's going to grow here. Why are we able to make those bets? Because uh, one, we've set ourselves up for success. So we've had conversations with people and we have context from those conversations. So we have relationships. Oh, I remember this guy who needs this thing that this other place provides. So that's, that's one way to set up for success. But another way to set up for success is what we keep on repeating, the structure. Because the structure, um, you know, essentially um, bounds the whole thing. Um, I don't want to have to worry about all of these other things. I just want to worry about these things. So, you know, our brains aren't special in that they process a lot more, um, you know, negative, you know, a lot more information than anybody else. Like there aren't more scary things that we handle every single day. They're probably less, you know, we've probably worked really, really hard to make sure that there aren't a lot of scary things, um, you know, like hiding in the closet because one, we don't have to worry about um, losing all of our money because the structure prevents us from doing that. We don't have to worry about, um, what else don't we have to worry about? <laughs> we, we don't have to worry about, so there, there are many things that we do have to worry about, but it depends on how you define worry. And it, it takes me at least back to uh, what I was saying earlier, which is, look, there are two things that are certain in this life. We're born, that one already happened. So, so what's the one other thing? We're gonna die at some point. And everybody is scared of that second one. And so they tailor their decisions in life based on the fear of that second one. Ah, I'm scared of death, so I'm not gonna fly in an airplane. Or I'm scared of being broke and then dying, and so I'm not going to invest in something particular, or I'm not gonna take certain risks. It's smart to a certain degree, but what makes us different is we have, we, look, we're, we're not the smartest people in the world. We're not, there are smarter people than us. In fact, Michael Levitin, who works for us, is smarter than me, way smarter. Like, he got his master's degree at 17. <laughs> like, he's way smarter. <laughs> but it's not always about just raw intelligence. You have to have a certain degree of intelligence. And then from that point, it's a matter of, well, how are you making decisions your decision making ability and your ability to live with those decisions and adapt should something happen that was unexpected that's what it's all that's business i'll actually tell you guys a story about that i'm not going to name any names because i don't know if they're cool with it but a friend of mine very successful guy he's got like 10 10 jets and we're, we're buddies you guys know who i'm talking about uh, he was telling me the other day how, so the way that he made all his money and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, at least he's not a billionaire and he hates it in any case. Uh, so the way he made hundreds of millions of dollars, he told me he struggled for 15 years in the pawn business, pawning stuff. And then mm. he got into the jewelry business 
So maybe like 10 years of struggling in the pawn business. And then he's like, okay, well, you know, there seems to be an opportunity. In Which the pawn is a kind of weird version of jewelry business. <laughs> well, yeah. So <laughs> That's like what they sell shop. the majority of it. Yeah. So it was a Natural shop. segue. And then he, he noticed that, oh, the jewelry part of this business is doing more than the, you know, pawning guitars and stuff. So let's cut that Very out and focus yeah. on just this. Which is in itself seeing the opportunity. It's being cognizant of what's happening. But that's not what made him hundreds of millions of dollars. You know what made him hundreds of millions of dollars? He was calling around because he was a young guy at that time. He started super young. So he's like maybe like 30 at this time. Like really young, relatively speaking. And he's calling around different radio, TV. This is way back in like the 80s. And saying, hey, you know, I, I want to book spots. And nobody's giving him the time of day. Because they're like, you're too small and we don't care about you. Like, we don't care to talk and talk and talk about, you know, a couple of commercials here and there. And it's too expensive. And he's like, how do I do this? How can I advertise to grow my business? And then what happened was he stumbled, stumbled just by happenstance on a guy. And that guy told him, it was at one of the channels. And he said, oh, hey, you know, you're a young guy. I see what you're trying to do. Here's the game. And he told him, here's what you do. And in that particular case, I'll tell you the strategy because it's, <laughs> he's, he's worried about it because it doesn't work anymore because we live in the age of the internet. The point is, he said, look, in, you, you, you buy a lot of the off-prime slots and you do a bunch of advertising on off-prime. And your dollar, each individual dollar that you invest in that will go further than the prime slots. So everybody thinks, oh, well, everybody's watching during the prime time. But it turns out, no, he made hundreds of millions of dollars doing this. And you know what he did? He did that within a couple of months, months, his business tripled locally. And he was like, oh, I can replicate this in another state and another state and another state. And he's like, okay, sweet. And he opened up a bunch of stores within a couple of years. He was bawling. Why? Is it because he's the smartest person? No, I know him personally. And I will tell you for a fact, he's not the smartest person I've ever met. And that's not an insult because he is a, he is one of the most successful people that I've ever met. He's a great guy, but he's not the smartest. He simply saw an opportunity. He jumped on that opportunity. And then in that opportunity, instead of getting scared and saying, well, what happens if I grow too much? How can I adapt to that? He said, okay, look, I can do this and I can make more money than I, don't, I know what to do with. And I don't even know how much money I'm going to make but I see it, I see the opportunity and I'm gonna jump on it because I've tested it and now that it's tested, I see that I can maximize it. And now, you know, we jam and, <laughs> and, and have a lot of fun. And sometimes he just sent me a text saying, hey, do you wanna come out to, to uh, Texas for a day and then we'll fly back tomorrow? And I'm like, hold on, I'm doing a podcast. The point is, <laughs> it's, seeing opportunity, but also having the internal drive or ability to say, I'm going to do it. That's what it's all about.
opportunity is opportunity, but are you yeah. going to seize it? Seizing it also is a function of, you know, reducing your fears um, through structure and mm-hmm. um, well, through discipline as well, like learning about what you shouldn't be afraid of, you know, putting yourself in that mindset where I, I, I don't need to be worried about this specific thing because it's beyond my control. And, yeah. you know, it'll take care of itself because there's already the structure in place that prevents me from having to worry about it. Or I have somebody really smart on my team, so I don't need to worry about this um, specific detail. I have people much, much smarter than me that you know, take away this issue. Yeah. Yep. And, exactly. and it's funny, the, the, the exact marketing strategy that he used that did so well for the guy you just spoke of is exactly the reason we're in one of the deals and in multiple deals actually uh, right now in Massachusetts because, uh, you know, he, he took a set amount of money and instead of having one shot at some eyes and putting all the money in this high dollar place, he went to the lower value place and then he spread the money around and then all of those opportunities for people to see him presented themselves. So right now we're dealing with operators that are looking to expand their network. They're looking to have a distribution network that covers the U.S. So instead of taking this pile of money and saying, hey, let's put all this in this one thing and then fix it and then hope it works, they're taking the money they have and saying, hey, let's lease some properties so that we can take this one chunk of money and spread it around into all these different areas. And that way we have all these chances that, you know, success rather than the one because we can afford to rent three instead of buy and fix one. We can, you know, rent three and fix them up, turn on all, have all these opportunities, you know, to turn on the cash. A common question that I always get, and it's like, I understand why people ask this question, but it's also kind of funny. It says, it, the question is, why are people leasing instead of buying? And I'm like, exactly. Why does anybody lease that all instead of buying? Time. It's like, look at the strategy they're implying. It's because they're an intelligent operator. That's why we're partnering with people like that, because we have the same mindset and we see that long ball and it makes sense and our values align because right now it makes sense for them to pay for the lead you know and right now it makes sense for us to buy the building so and and we all have value in it there is it's about risk and reward and then it's about the cost of money we all know that debt is cheaper than equity yeah that's right not all money is equal Sorry, I'm gonna trigger. Yeah. I'm gonna trigger money right now. Sorry. I'm triggering. Um, the point is, <laughs> debt is cheaper than equity. Preferred equity is more expensive than common equity. Parapasu equity. Your own dollars in your pocket are more expensive than other people's dollars <laughs> to you right? And then their dollars are more expensive to them than your dollars are to you. The point of the matter is if someone is, let's say here, here's an example. I'll I'll use one example. 
Let's say someone is leasing from us and we're getting a 20% cash on cash. I don't think there's a single person in the world who's going to say 20% cash on cash is not a good deal, right? It's a good deal in real estate, asterisk. But if we look at what does the asterisk asterisk say at the bottom, it says in real estate. You, when we're talking about any real estate investment or deal from our perspective, when I'm investing my money into something, that is IRR, meaning an annualized return based on a percentage. How many percentage points is it going to take? How many years is it going to take for me to get all my money back and then just be cash flowing with it? So let's, if you're at 20%, then that's going to take five years, right? 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 to get your money back in other businesses. See, I can do math in other businesses. That's not necessarily true in, for example, the cannabis business or in logistics or in tech, it doesn't matter. They're not going based on IRR or an annualized cash flow return. They're going based on X multiples, meaning you can get your money back in a year's time. Oh, that sounds so great. Dimitri, how are you going to do it? You're going to take crazy risks. That's how you're going to do it. You're going to take risks that you're not taking in real estate and you deserve to get those rewards. Capitalism. That's what it's all about. So what I'm saying is consider that for a moment. Let's say the lease you're, that we're getting, we're getting 20% on our money every year. Yeah. But the, the, the person who's leasing from us has to pay their investors a hundred percent a year. Right. Well, who's paying, which investors are getting paid more? Our investors who are getting 20% or his investors who are getting a hundred percent. Well, his, his equity is more expensive. So if he had to raise more equity to buy the building as opposed to leasing from us, he would actually be paying per his own terms, more money. Make sense. It's, it's a matter of he's actually saving money. Now that being said, we're not taking the risks that this particular operator is taking in this hypothetical example, because we own real estate. So of course we're getting a good return, but if something happens to that guy, let's say he gets hit by a bus tomorrow or whatever, doesn't matter what situation happens. Let's say something happens to that business. We can release to somebody else. If something happens to his business, he loses all his money because well, that's what happens in business. without proper security, right? So it makes sense for him to lease and it makes sense for, for us to lease to him because it's good for us and it's good for him. It's mutually beneficial partnerships. I I, kind of went on a little tangent, but do you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, exactly. That's what it's all about relationships and networking and and I've been looking over here at my notes as well and it's it's awesome because you know we we decided you know we want to do this podcast about 
at its core, you know, investment, smart investment. Like let's help people invest intelligently. Like let's give them knowledge that will help them in the investment world. And just through this conversation, I've got a, a, a structure for the uh, rest of the podcast because it's like, you know, we discovered risk assessment in our first podcast. For those of you guys just listening for the first time, go back, check out our old podcast. Sorry. We have covered risk uh, already. Defining region is what we're kind of talking about now. Uh, and these are all parts of smart investing, like how to invest intelligently. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier. You haven't got to be super intelligent to invest in a super intelligent way. You just need to know how to make a plan overall, create a structure, define it, that creating that it requires defining a region, which we're covering, combining your knowledge and networking. So let's do a podcast on networking. It involves assessing risk, which we've already touched on making a plan and structure i would love to do a podcast on structure and talk about creative structures especially with <laughs> dimitri's creative structuring mind like you know that would be prepare for that one to be two hours guys um but <laughs> the structure podcast would be a great one how to seek the opportunity you know like finding opportunity specifically in your defined regions and then valuations, because now you have to align values. What do I say? That's a steal. And the guy selling it is like, I'm, you know, robbing this guy. Like, where do we get the valuation? How do we determine that? Know that, you know, we're, we're correct over what they're wanting. And, and know to ask less or push for, you know, more of a discount off the, the back because deals are made right up front. You make your money on the deal. You don't, People think, you know, oh, when I sell, that's when I make my money. Well, if you got into it at the wrong price, you're never going to have that moment. So that's where people go over creative deals and deal flows, creative closing scenarios. I mean, all of that leads up to investing smartly. So yeah. I'm, ex I'm, I'm excited because it's been pressure, honestly, for, for me, guys, and just being completely out there with you guys, it's been like a, a pressure on me thinking of what we could uh, kind of give the podcast listening world that is of value. Like I want to create, you know, a podcast that's not only just fun to listen to, but it's, it, it create, it, there's a value in it. People learning things that they see value in learning, you know? So uh, this is exciting for me, I'm glad we've we've had this specific conversation well, because I can see a lot of value in just having these conversations. I'll, I'll say this. When it comes to value, we've done many things over the years. We've talked to so many people over the years about, I don't, like, look, we're very busy people, obviously. You know, we joke around about, you know, oh, hey, let's drink some scotch and talk about, you know, different topics. But at the end of the day, we're extremely busy people all the time because we, we like doing what we do and it's fun, but we're, we want, you know, a lot of people ask me and, and you guys know, I like to speak an anecdote. So I'll give another anecdote. Uh, a lot of people ask me, well, Dimitri, you know, why do you share 
your expertise because really everything that we're talking about is what we do. So why do we share it with others? Because here's the thing. Pro tip. Here. Join me. Come here. <laughs> it's a secret. It's a secret. Here, I'll tell you. You want to know the secret? Most people are just going to drop out. <laughs> the point is, most people, I've talked to, again, what, 10,000 people? <laughs> More than that? I don't know. I've talked to lots of people. Guess what? The majority of people that want to do what we do end up going, but it's hard and I don't like it. And, oh, man, what do I do? It's a lot of work. Yes, it is. It is, but that's why we get paid. Because it no, is not. not the easy. No, the a point lot is, goes into it. The point is, yes, there's a lot that goes into it. But that's with anything in life. If you want to learn how to play an instrument, Absolutely. it takes a lot of work. If you want to learn how to be a good artist, it takes a lot of work. If you want to be a good investor, it takes a lot of work. Surprise. It takes a lot of work to do anything. Yeah. If you want to go and yeah, even if you want to put your money with someone, yeah, yeah, even if you want to put your some your money with someone that's done a lot of work, you're gonna to have to do some work to find out which of those people out there that have done a lot of work you want to put your money with. Like, there's nothing uh, I feel like that leads to good, awesome stuff without a little work somewhere at least. Like something, even if it's like someone's giving you a gift, guess what? You're burning calories, reaching out for it and opening it. You know, like it's that there's, there's always some work involved. And I think all of us are looking for at least amount of work, most amount of reward. And uh, that's where strategy comes into play. And uh, yeah, well, that's, I'm that's super where super excited to do a strategy podcast. Well, when we do the strategy podcast, maybe I'll talk, I'll give out some of my tips on monopoly strategy. <laughs> yes, yes. You can take that back to your families and, and really piss that them off. That would be awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, the point is, we're, we, we should definitely do it on strategy good fun. Yeah. and networking. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, yeah, I tell people- exactly. You got to get out there and, and, and let's, uh, let's, let's do one question to wrap up this one. Uh, because I feel like we've really talked about the regional recessions and the structuring and, and you know, what is opportunity. Uh, here's my question to you guys. And then I'll, I'll go last. So we'll go, uh, me and then Hunter or sorry, not me, ha Brian, and then Hunter and then me. Uh, and here's the question, question of the day. Here, you guys, are you guys ready? Are you guys ready for the question of the day? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Here's the question of the day. Opportunity zones are a big thing right now. So people are talking about opportunity zones, which are designated census tracts where there's deferred taxes for a period of time, roughly defined. And a, there's a lot of these opportunity zone funds that are being set up. Obviously, there's a lot of benefit to investing in something that's tax deferred, right? The, the risk that can happen 
is, well, if you invest in something that's bad, it's not making lots of money, then there's nothing to tax defer, right? What do you guys think will happen to some of these opportunity zone funds should there be a recession nationwide in the next several years? What do you guys think of that? Brian. I don't know. But do you think that they'll do inherently well? Or do you you think that it's possible for a tax-deferred structure like an opportunity zone fund to recover from buying at a, at a market high? Oh, if you bought before the recession. Yeah. Because I, I don't think you should yeah, make because right now we're based gonna... on any tax benefits. Unless, Sorry, what, what was that? I don't think you should make any decision, any long-term decision based on tax benefits. If it's, oh, I'm going to buy a Tesla now because you know, I'm going to be able to get a cash rebate this year. Great. But um, you, you, that's another institution to rely on. Um, you know, you, 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 there's so many unknowns for that. Like, do you know if taxes are going to cost the same, you know, in a few years? Do you know what the economic situation is going to be in a few years? It, it, it's just fundamentally, um, it's not something I'm comfortable with. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it on anybody because governments, um, we don't know what the government situation is going to be like. We don't know what the tax situation is going to be like. All they all they did was gave a promise, right? Um, but that that promise is essentially, oh, in ten years, it's going to be tax deferred. That that's the only promise. So what's what's ten years worth of taxes, right? If you if you went into an opportunity zone, not as a not as a um, an investment, but just as a place to park. You know, if you did it specifically just because you wanted to, you know, park some money to tax defer that money um, and not specifically for the investment that that opportunity zone will give you, then great. But it, it, it doesn't make any sense to me to, to, to essentially base um, your long-term decision on somebody else's promise. You know, because you, you, it, that, that's one less um, point of control that you have. Yeah. You're, you're, but it, it depends on one what you're comfortable with, and um, and if you're okay with going. Oh, I, I trust this government, and I trust that um, taxes are going to be you know at this level um, later on, and they're going to defer any um, you know any risk that I might face between now and then. Yeah. Then great, but and capital gains does change. Capital gains does change, but it's just fundamentally the deal itself has to be good like irrespective of whether or not it's an opportunity zone or opportunity zone or not it, it, that's just a bonus like it, it, yeah. it's a nice to have but it, it unless you've set it up so that you're actually confident about the deal itself yeah then then all of these these are just sweeteners this is this is all artificial Hunter? Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with everything that Brian said. Um, you know, unless your only goal is just to defer 
then if you can for sure um, achieve that. It's like you can't not achieve that uh, with an opportunity zone fund, especially. Um, but it would make sense, most sense, if you actually want to make money off of the money, uh, which I call that money soldier money, by the way, because uh, I send out my soldier money and its job is not to kill, but to take prisoners. It's to find other money and then take it prisoner and bring it back to me. Like that is soldier money. Go out, get as many prisoners as you can and bring them back to camp. Um, so, I mean, I, I feel like idle money is losing money as well. If I'm sitting money somewhere, like I have money in a savings account or somewhere, if, if it's sitting in a savings account, oh, you're getting that huge interest rate from the, the bank. I mean, it's like just nothing. And I feel like uh, based on the rate of inflation, outpacing that rate considerably, um, you're losing money. You're at least losing the spending power of that money. And that could be another podcast right there, time value of money, because a lot of people don't understand how to, how to do time value of money. And that's, that's crucial, especially if you expect to you know, live beyond 33. If you're not living the Belushi lifestyle, you have to think of the time value of money. And uh, I think that also segues perfectly into the question at hand, which is, uh, I feel personally, by all means, this is not investment advice, uh, but I feel personally that in the next few years, we are going to have a bubble burst. God knows there's plenty to choose from, whether it's the housing bubble, the car debt bubble, the educational debt bubble, uh, multiple bubbles potential. Uh, there's inflationary stuff going on, potential of hyperinflation type stuff happening. But I feel like in 10 years time, whatever is we're headed imminently for will have happened. And and based on now this only goes for America and I can only speak for America because currently we're only investing in America and we're talking about quality. I mean, qualified opportunity zones and clauses are only in America officially as a structure. So in America, our can do attitude as a country, as a people over, you know, hundreds of years. Large, if you look at, the region in a macro way, <laughs> the U.S. has that ability to just fight no matter what. And I feel like uh, in the next 10 years, when you're looking to you know, achieve, <laughs> achieve some kind of return, I feel like whatever bubble is going to pop will have popped and the American resilience will have kicked in. But, I, but, but whether that resilience will have gotten us to a place equivalent to where we are now at a height uh, in 10 years i'm not sure 15 i would say absolutely we will have recovered and surpassed where we're at now 10 years to me there's a risk in that because i just don't feel confident that that recovery level will have surpassed the current high so that being said i'll i'll give my two cents and i agree with both of you on that surprise surprise um, I think, <laughs> look, uh, obvious. I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday. There's a big conference that we went to here in, in uh, Dana Point. Uh, I will, I'll, I'll plug this one because it's a good one. IMN, IMN conference. 
I as in igloo, M as in mother, N as in Nancy. <laughs> in any case, uh, great conference. And I was talking to a buddy of mine and we were talking about opportunity zones. And I, in fact, said exactly what Brian said. I said, well, look, you know, if it's not a good deal, then it, I don't care if it's in a qualified opportunity zone because look, you know, you know what the best way to, to get a tax write-off is to lose all your money in a deal. <laughs> That's a hundred percent tax write-off guys. You put in a million dollars, you lost a million dollars. Yeah. I, I don't want more of those types of write-offs. Um, now that being said, Qualified Opportunity Zones, great thing. And I actually talked about it a little bit uh, last week. And I, I, I would love to even do a whole thing on just Qualified Opportunity Zones. There's a lot of value. That being said, uh, my biggest concern, the reason I brought up the question is exactly what, or, or very similar to what Hunter said. Um, look, if you invest today, We've surpassed, it's no question, it, this isn't a, a topic of debate, we have surpassed previous market highs. In fact, we're in the longest bull run of any, historically, any run uh, up in our economy, the U.S. economy. It's true, longest bull run, which is great. I love it. How long is it going to last? Can it last indefinitely? No. Eventually, it will hit. It's just, that's just life. There's the ups and the downs. And I, I'm not a guru talking about it. It's just, that's what will happen. And I'm also not a doomsday guy. We can't possibly predict when that will happen. It, by, by most people's predictions, it should have already happened. But, you know, things are going well and there's been things that have offset it. In regards to qualified opportunity zones, Let's say I buy something that's worth $5 million today in a qualified opportunity zone. Fantastic. But then next year, the economy goes to crap and the business that's in that piece of real estate, let's say, goes out of business or downsizes. And you have to renegotiate a lease because they can't sustain that. So now your cash flow has dropped, let's say, in half, just for simplicity's sake. Uh, or the value of your building went from five million to two and a half. Is it going to recover in time to be enough of a profit to justify investing in it in the first place, even with the tax deferred benefits? Maybe not, maybe so. Because it's not like a recession hits and then, okay, start the clock from there, no. 2008 hit and then 2011 was the bottom not 2008 2008 was the start <laughs> 2011 was the bottom and then it started going up and now we're in 2019 and it's still going up when's it gonna stop well if you find a crystal ball you let me know but the point is, I, I think there's a lot of risk. It's about a good deal. Can it weather a recession? Is there, is there margin for error? And can you live through it? Regardless of whether it's a qualified opportunity zone. 
So, all right, guys, this has yeah. been I Never think, invest very... money you can't afford to lose. That's exactly. Never invest money you can't afford to lose. Um, and then structure it in a way that you don't lose it. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to do a sign off. I hope everybody enjoyed this. This is Dimitri. We have Brian Arandez. We have Hunter Slay. We have Scotch in hand. This Not anymore. Scotch money. Well, yeah, me neither. Uh-huh. <laughs> this has been Scotch, Scotch money. In belly. I'll drink Scotch both of you belly. guys because that's what partners do. Partners yes. come through when they need to. I will drink Scotch for both of you guys. Love you. You enough. are enjoyed it today. The bomb. Thebomb.com. Okay. <laughs> this has been Scotch yeah, Money. Yeah. We hope that you guys have had a very enjoyable experience and that we have taught you a thing or two. If anybody has any questions, please let us know. If you have a like button, like it. If you have a subscribe button, smash it. Smash it now. Smash. Subscribe. Subscribe. Smash. Like. And if you do, let us know a question that you have, and we're happy to answer it. We have a bunch of things to talk about, but as you guys can tell, we love talking. Peace.